0: Please turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 29 to 39 this morning. I apologize to the kids, there are no sheets this morning, but um, if you want to come to the office afterward, I'll give you a treat anyway. So, Mark chapter 1, verse 29 to 39, let's read this section. let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. <clears throat> Sometimes we go to the Bible with the wrong lens, with a view to only get out, out, out of it something for ourselves or about ourselves. And in doing so, we forget who the Bible is about. The Bible certainly has things to say about us, about humanity, about what we need to do, about what God has done for us. But ultimately, is not all about us, not chiefly about us. It is about God. And as such, when we come to the Gospels, we also lose the point if we're all thinking about what this means just simply for us. Of course, there's application to us here, as we'll see. But the first question when we come to any paragraph in the Gospels is this, what does this say about God? Specifically, what does this say about Jesus, who is God the Son? So as we go through this series, let's not lose sight of that. That is the main point Mark made in chapter 1, verse 1. This is the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is all about Jesus. And every paragraph has revealed to us more about who this Jesus is. In the last paragraph we looked at a few weeks ago, we saw Jesus' authority in both his teaching and his casting out of a demon that he had authority to proclaim the word on his own authority, not on the authority of any other. And he also was able to command this unclean spirit. And so the people, by the end of that passage, were forced to ask themselves, what is this? That's the question. What is this? Who is this? What is this power that we see On display in Jesus. and So this section should also do the same. Here I want you to see in this uh, couple paragraphs, there are three sections here. First of all, we'll look at Jesus' power. Then secondly, Jesus' prayer. And thirdly, Jesus' priority. Jesus' power, his prayer, and his priority. First of all, we see Jesus' power on display in verses 29 to 34. We see here Jesus' power in healing and in casting out demons, and this is displayed in two events. The first event here is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Now, this is the first healing recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. There are many instances of this in Jesus' ministry, but here his healing begins in his own disciple's house, not out in public. Peter's house must have been near that synagogue that they had just met in. This is all happening in the same day as the last paragraph. On this Sabbath day, this Saturday, they went into the synagogue in Capernaum, and then they came out and entered into Simon's house. We see here Simon is living with his wife, evidently, and his brother Andrew and also his mother-in-law. We know that Peter or Simon or Cephas was married. He brought along a believing wife, it says in 1 Corinthians 9.5, and so he lived there with his family, and, and Jesus enters here along with two other disciples as well, James and John. Right away, we see that his mother-in-law was ill. It says in verse 30, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. In the Gospel of Luke, we have a parallel passage and it says in Luke four thirty eight that this was a high fever, a high fever. We all know that fevers can sometimes be serious, though normally they just kind of come and go with certain colds or flus, disappear pretty quickly. Sometimes they're prolonged. If they're too hot, they can be serious. They can be symptomatic of even deeper diseases. And so Simon and Andrew are rightly concerned about their mother. She's bedridden with this fever. Luke 4.38 says that they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. Now, how does Jesus respond to this crisis? We see in verse 31, his response it says, And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Jesus right away responds. He comes, he takes her by the hand, he lifts her up, and immediately the fever has left her. And note here that Jesus didn't start grabbing some medicine. He didn't didn't go through some kind of pagan ritual to try to bring about healing. The Jews and Greeks had their rudimentary medicine at, at the time. There were also many religious rituals that people would engage in. There was the Greek God of healing, Asclepius, and so people would often sort of worship him and try to find healing, but Jesus uses no other remedy but his own touch and his own word. He comes to her immediately. She is healed. Matthew 8.1 describes the same event, saying, he touched her hand and the fever left her. Luke adds an interesting detail here in chapter 439. He says, Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. So we see that it's simply by Jesus' touch and his word that this fever immediately leaves. Again, we could ask here, what is this? This man who teaches with authority commands demons with authority, and now commands diseases with authority. He didn't even pray for a miracle here. He simply raised her up, and she was healed. What is this? We see her response in verse 31 as well, that immediately as the fever left her, she began to serve them. She hopped up back to her normal strength. She began to serve Jesus and the disciples with hospitality. I don't know about you, but usually after a fever, even after it breaks, usually you feel a bit weary and weak, but she right away is back to full strength after Jesus heals her. And as Peter's mother-in-law was living in his house, she was probably engaged in the normal household duties, helping her daughter with those things. And so you can imagine her showing hospitality to the guests, If it was our day, you know, taking some bread out of the oven, offering the people some coffee or tea, cleaning up after everyone, taking a lasagna out of the oven and and serving it up, it seems immediately she's back to her normal serving self. And not only that, but out of gratitude for the one that has healed her, she begins to serve him and his disciples. So that's the first event we see here. And it displays to us something of Jesus' power to heal. Then we see in verse 32 to 34, another event. It says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Now, notice here what's happening it says that at that evening at sundown, they brought all these sick people to him. Now, remember, this is the same day that began in verse 21. It was a Sabbath day. That is the Jewish Sabbath, Saturday. And as you know, the Jews would do no work on that day. And the way that they reckoned time was from evening on to the next evening. And so, Sabbath began Friday night, so they, they would do no work from Friday evening on, but then when Saturday evening came, when the sun went down, then they were allowed to resume their labors. And so we see here, the people have actually been patiently waiting. Jesus' fame has been spreading. People are hearing about how he casted out this demon. They hear about his authority. Evidently, they've heard about the healing of Simon's mother-in-law as well and they've been like horses at the gate waiting for them to be opened and immediately as sundown comes they race over to Simon's house to see this one who can heal they bring to him all who are sick or oppressed by demons notice the desperate condition of these people these people are desperate for healing and care They're willing to go out in the dark after sundown, line up at this door, just having heard that Jesus could heal people. It says here, all who were sick, which has the idea of those who are badly ill. We see examples of these kinds of people in the rest of the Gospels, right? The blind, the deaf, the lame, lepers, epileptics, paralytics people afflicted with fevers, hemorrhaging, seizures, and all kinds of other diseases and pains. The other category of people here, which sometimes overlaps with the first, is those who were demon-possessed. It says here, oppressed by demons, but really it means to be possessed, overtaken by a demon. So these people were overtaken by evil, hostile spirits. And so imagine this multitude The whole city, it says, verse 33, gathered together at the door. These people in a miserable spiritual and physical condition. All of the sick and possessed in the city of Capernaum. You see how lost and desperate this place was. That even in a small city like that, there were many demon possessed. Just imagine in Grand Prairie, if Jesus came here. And all of the diseased and demon-oppressed people came out to meet him. How many there would be. All the people with cancer, with flus and fevers, with lung diseases, with diabetes, with hernias, with back and hip and knee pains. If they all came out. All those who were severely mentally afflicted. The scene is probably something like we see when a doctor goes to some undeveloped country. And they set up a tent, and you see people lined up for days and days, desperate, searching for help. Even today, I suppose if you go to a walk-in clinic, you might see the same kind of thing, or the emergency room. Desperate people seeking help. What we see here then is Jesus' compassionate power toward them all. It says he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Luke records here in Luke 4:40 he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Matthew says in chapter 8:16 to 17 he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases so all evening you could imagine late into the night he spent time seeing each person seeing their condition treating them with compassion showing no partiality in his care willing to help everyone and showing no inability in his care either able to heal every affliction this is the compassionate power of jesus on display. And note one more thing here, it gives some detail about the demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. We just saw a few weeks ago again that Jesus commanded the spirit to be silent in the synagogue, and it came out of the man immediately. The fact that Jesus is able to To exercise authority over demons. That he is able to permit or to not permit these demons to speak. Also says something about Jesus here. Who is this one who has authority over all spiritual beings? Now there's a second part to that sentence there because they knew him. I'm not going to explain that this morning because I don't have time, but we'll see that kind of thought as we go further in the book of Mark and explain it as we go. But the main thing we should think about here in this section is again, what does this say about Jesus? What does this tell us about him? We see here Jesus' power or his authority as God in the flesh, The Son of God. As Mark 1.7 said, as, as John the Baptist preached, there was one coming after him, mightier than John the Baptist. And so we see Jesus' might here. His power to the people of the day, the Jewish and Greek and Roman people. This would have been staggering, this display of power. Jesus healed and cast out demons. The Jews would have known prophets of old. We read of them in the Old Testament. Who had done healings. Who had done miraculous wonders. But nothing of this volume. Elijah, Elisha. We can number on both hands the amount of miracles they did. Not so Jesus. He healed everyone in Capernaum. And then went on to do this in other cities as well. The Greeks and Romans had legends about people like Apollonius of Tiana. Who were said to heal on occasion. Nothing again like this. If those myths are even true. Perhaps there were false signs and wonders done by someone like that. But this is nothing compared to those people. What is this? Friends, our conclusion has to be that God is the only one who can heal in such a way, in such a volume. No mere man or even prophet can do this. And there was in the Old Testament expectation in the prophets of when God came to reign over Israel again that there would be such restoration, that miracles in this volume would occur. We read Isaiah 35. We see in verse 5 and 6 there, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. When God comes to save, he would bring such things. And so we see Christ is the one bringing God's reign, coming, God in the flesh, for the salvation and restoration of his people. These healings are a confirmation that the kingdom Jesus has been preaching is the true kingdom of God. And it points to the fact that Jesus is himself divine. He is the Lord who heals all your diseases as psalm 103 verse 3 says he is the healer of Israel as exodus 15:26 notes moreover god is the only one with authority over all spiritual beings including demons even the devil can do nothing that god does not allow him to do he's on a leash you look at job 1 and 2 satan comes to god for permission. Jesus has to permit the demons to do what they do, and he can choose not to permit them. And so, who has the power to silence and cast out demons and heal all the diseases here with a word or a touch? Who is it? I'll leave that as a rhetorical question. And as we think about who Jesus is then, we've We've seen something of that. We might ask of this passage also, okay, what might it mean for us today as well? Probably the question we immediately think of is, may we expect such healing from our Lord Jesus Christ today? Can we expect Jesus to heal all our diseases whenever we come to him Well, here we have to give a nuanced answer, or we fall into one of two ditches. Ditch number one some people fall into is that of the word of faith movement, or the prosperity gospel, which says that it it is always God's will every time to heal people. And if you're not healed, then you're not prosperous, it's because you don't have enough faith. Well, that's dead wrong. We could give just one example that crumbles that whole thesis. Look at Job, righteous man, yet went through the most severe of afflictions. And so that's a ditch. The second ditch, though, is, I don't know what to call it, maybe hyper-cessationism, if you're familiar with that term, where we don't believe God can do anything. That, that we sort of forget that God can intervene in our lives in a powerful way, to even do miracles today. We have a God in Scripture who invites us and says, "Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me." Psalm 50:15. We do have a God who is still powerful who can do these things. So we want to avoid two ditches. Well, what is the path in between? We have to think through this carefully. Again, as I probably just noted, God has not changed. We have to think through our theology. Is God any different today than he was at that time? No, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever God is unchangeable. God is still almighty. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is still just as powerful and just as compassionate to people in their misery. God surely can still heal anyone of anything if he so chooses. But we also have to think carefully Through redemptive history. Because, friends, there's something unique happening here in the Gospels. You look back even at the Old Testament, it's not like always in every generation there were always the same volume of miraculous works or wonders being done in Israel. We see glorious times like under Moses' ministry. Reading through Exodus right now, the, the plagues of Egypt, some of these mighty wonders God did. We see it in the beginning of Joshua as they go into the land, and, and God comes with his, his power and attends their armies in glorious ways. We see in the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, but not all times in Israel were characterized by all kinds of miraculous signs and wonders. Even at the end of the Old Testament period, you have 500 years until the time of Jesus where no one heard a word from God. No prophets in Israel. But then when we come to the Gospels, immediately in the ministry of Jesus, we see a torrential downpour of miraculous activity. We see Jesus healing all these people in various towns. But even then, it's very interesting to note that as you go on in Jesus' ministry, he does less and less of these kinds of healings. Surely he does them all throughout. He heals some blind men later and so on. But the majority of his works were done in this early period. Then you see in the apostles, they carry along some of these things doing mighty signs and wonders. Paul will say that he showed Corinth the signs of a true apostle in 2 Corinthians 12, 12 with mighty signs and wonders. But even by the end of the New Testament period, in a book like Hebrews written later, we see that they look back on the early days that were characterized by these things. And they say it was to confirm the message that was spoken. And so thinking through redemptive history, we see that as the apostles died out, and there are no apostles anymore, we see that this kind of miraculous activity does not happen at the same volume. So there's something unique happening here. But again, that does not mean we cannot expect to see God heal someone or even remove demons today. It does not mean that we cannot pray for such things. In fact, God still wants us to pray for healing, to come to him in all our troubles and seek him, trusting in his power. Sometimes it is not the Lord's will to heal, like Paul experienced with his thorn in the flesh. Three times he asked, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes God allows suffering into our lives. Simply to make us more steadfast, more righteous, more Christ-like, more hopeful. God uses these things. But sometimes he will heal. Often we forget that we can come to him in all these things. Even this Sunday we hear of many people who are at home sick. With fevers even. Do we think to pray to God? Ask him to heal? We should. James 5 Verses 14 to 15 even gives direction for the sick that they should call for the elders of the church and they will pray for the sick person. To date in my ministry, I don't think anyone has uh, called me up on that, Um, but it is an offer. The elders here, me and Brent and Ken, would love to come when people are badly ill and pray for you. God tells us to do this. Today, we have such advanced medicine I think that we forget often about God. We forget that even God has provided us with these good gifts. Tylenol and Diclectin and NyQuil and asthma inhalers. These are good gifts from God. And we should still seek God's healing whenever we are physically in need. But the last thing I want to say about this section here is that if we stop application simply at the issue of physical healing, we have also lost the point. Ultimately, what is this pointing us to? Again, it's the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, to heal, to come to people in their miserable human condition, to have compassion on them and deliver them, to restore them. And did Jesus come simply to restore us of our physical diseases, of our demon possession for a time? Are these not all simply symptoms of a greater root problem, the deepest issue of humanity? Ultimately, all sickness, all diseases, all pain, all demon possession... This is really just a symptom of the true disease, which is human sin and depravity, which has brought the curse into this world. When our forefathers, our our first uh, father and mother, Adam and Eve, took the bait in the garden, this resulted in sin spreading to all humanity. We're all guilty, we're all lost, we're corrupt. And so as a result, our world is broken. Do you think then that Jesus came into this world just to deal with sort of the symptoms? He would be a bad doctor if he did. Doctors are not very good if they only treat symptoms, outward symptoms of a terminal illness. Jesus surely came to do more than that. And so we should seek from Jesus more than just physical healing. Now hold on to that thought as we go into the next two sections here. You see in the second part here Jesus' prayer, just focusing on one verse here, verse thirty five. It says, "In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So following this intense and surely tiring evening of healing, we might expect Jesus. Going to bed late to just sleep in or something like that? Get a good night's rest? Maybe get up tomorrow and continue with this healing and exercising ministry? Would that not be a good and compassionate thing to do? Of course. But instead, we see Jesus getting away from it all for a time. Notice Jesus resolved to get alone here. It says he rose very early in the morning. still after such a a late night, while it was still dark and he departed, he went out to a desolate place. Reminds us of how celebrities are constantly followed by the paparazzi and how they must long to get out of uh, that uh, sort of crowd. Or maybe if you're the manager of a company and your cell phone is always ringing, maybe you go out camping in an area where there's no service just to get away from people. Jesus got away from the busyness of his ministry there in Capernaum. He went to a desolate place. It may have been a desert nearby, the wilderness, somewhere uninhabited, unfrequented. Now, was Jesus simply just trying to get away from it all? Was he experiencing a phrase I heard lately, compassion fatigue? He's just been helping people so much. So long, uh, one person after another, he's now tired. He just has to get away for some me time. Well, no, notice here, Jesus got alone for a purpose, to pray. It says there he prayed. We see Jesus doing this often throughout his ministry. He kicked off his ministry with 40 days of prayer in the wilderness. And he often retreated to desolate places to pray. Sometimes he spent all night in prayer. Surely the records we have of Jesus praying are only the tip of the iceberg, since Jesus himself taught us that we should pray in secret, as much as is possible, not letting others know how much we are in prayer. Right here, there is some good application here I just want to bring out for a moment, though again, this is not the main point. Do you ever get alone? pray even when circumstances are hard even when you feel exhausted and at the end of your rope when you've been giving and giving and giving to others do you get away simply for some me time or do you get away for some God time when we're busy this is actually all the more imperative as we'll see now I'm not saying you shouldn't normally get a good sleep or you shouldn't have a break, or a nap, or a vacation. Those are good when God provides them. You have to know yourself. But on the regular, are we getting alone with God? This is a helpful pattern to follow. To rise early in the morning, while it is still dark. I suppose in Grand Prairie, it's actually not that hard most of the year to get up while it's still dark, because we have so much darkness around the year. But to get up early, to get up when it's quiet, the kids aren't up yet, spending time with the Lord in prayer and in his word, this should instruct us. We can't give a legalistic rule here, but it's a helpful pattern. I know for many of us, we are parents of young children. Sometimes it's near impossible to get up before your kids because they might get up at 5 a.m., the one day, 6.30, the next, sometimes it's unpredictable. But do we try? Do we adapt even? Do we find another time where we could be alone with God in prayer? Tim Stevens in Calgary, the pastor there, I, I don't know if this is still his practice, but he has eight kids, and so I'm sure he's never quite sure when his kids will be up in the morning and during the night there are many interruptions. He's often said to people, rest is in heaven. But he would often do his prayer and reading in the evenings when the kids go to bed. Maybe you've read of Susanna Wesley, mother of John and Charles Wesley. She had 19 children. Uh, But it's said that she would sometimes just cover her head with her apron and (laughs) read her Bible and pray while the kids were running around so that she could have some semblance of alone time. With God. But the point is here getting alone with God, some way, somehow. You look at most of the people who have been greatly used by God in church history, they often had such habits of prayer. Luther gave his best three hours in the morning to prayer. Robert Murray McShane wrote of his prayer life one Sunday morning in his journal. He said, Rose early to seek God and found him whom my soul loveth. Who would not rise early to meet such company? It's a blessing to meet God in the morning. Another quote from McShane shows that he was imperfect and sometimes found himself sleeping in or getting busy in the morning, but his normal pattern and always his endeavor was to follow this pattern of Jesus. He says, I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Often when I sleep long or meet with others early, It is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin secret prayer. This is a wretched system. It is unscriptural. Christ arose before day and went into a solitary place. David says, early will I seek thee. Thou shalt early hear my voice. I feel it is far better to begin with God, to see his face first, to get my soul near him before it is near another So a bit of application there from Jesus' prayer life. But why did Jesus, specifically in this instance, feel the need to get alone and pray? There was, in addition to sort of his normal habit here, it seems a very specific benefit to this particular time of prayer. Well, in his human nature, Jesus was like us. We know what it's like when we get busy and caught up with service. We can sometimes get distracted with too much busyness and forget our priorities. Like Mary and Martha, you think of them. Mary was enjoying time sitting at Jesus' feet, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And she got upset that Mary wasn't helping. But Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Sometimes you might get busy with work, or maybe with some hobby, or even a ministry endeavor. Sometimes you have to stand back and reestablish your priorities and see what is really necessary. I believe that's what Jesus was doing here getting away from the hubbub in Capernaum, getting away from all the busyness and what people might have wanted him to do getting alone in prayer, reprioritizing, reorientating his ministry, going back to the default settings. And so we see in the next verses, Jesus' priority, verse 36 to 39. Here we see in verse 36, it says, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, literally hunted him down, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you they're thinking where did you go there's all these people who want to be healed who who want the demons cast out people are coming from all over the place aren't you going to continue this ministry it's so fruitful come back and and be with us but Jesus reply is somewhat surprising he says in verse 38 let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. You see, after that, he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus replies with his real purpose, with his primary priority here. Certainly, yes, Jesus was about healing people. Jesus was about casting out demons. He continues doing these things even after this. But we see his main priority was not just that. Why did he come out? Why did he come to Galilee in the first place? Why did he come from heaven in the first place? Was it just to heal people? Was it just to cast out their demons temporarily? Was it to give them an easier life on this earth? Was it just to relieve some of the suffering in this broken world? That's what the other people would have him do. No, he says what he came to do was to preach. He came out to preach, to herald, to declare a message, not primarily to heal or do nice things for people. To alleviate some suffering, though he did that too. Jesus came to preach. What did he come to preach? Luke 4:43 gives us more detail here. It says that Jesus replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was sent into the world to preach a message, and to fulfill a message. That is the gospel, the good news, which we even saw back in verse 14 and 15. He came into Galilee initially proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This was Jesus' primary task. And in that night in prayer, he reprioritized and he said, No, we're not going to stay in Capernaum right now. We have to go to the other towns. We need to go throughout Israel preaching this good news of the kingdom of God, the joyful proclamation that God had come and drawn near in redemption to reign over his people. The king was here he would now bring salvation by his death and resurrection. And now all people were commanded to repent and believe in him. See friends, as we think about the real problem of humanity, the deeper problem of which these outward things are just symptoms, Jesus here was intent on addressing that problem. It is that that he addressed in his preaching and his ultimate mission in coming to this earth. He came to crush the serpent's head, to deliver those who were held captive in their sins. And these are the real poor, blind, lame, deaf, and afflicted, aren't they? People just like us, the practically possessed, Those who follow the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air who follow their flesh doing things that ought not to be done in rebellion against the God who created them. Those who are in slavery to sin. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are blind to the way of righteousness. Those who are lame and cannot walk in it. Those who are deaf to God's voice. These people... Again, you and me, apart from Christ, are headed for eternal destruction, eternal suffering, away from God's presence, under the harsh rule of Satan and his forces. Friends, the gospel comes to heal us of our root illness. The disease of sin, it drives out demonic power once and for all. So that it never holds sway again. The gospel tells us that God has come in power to deliver sinners. It tells us we have a savior and a compassionate one at that. Who is willing to heal us. It tells us he died for us. Paid the penalty to forgive us and to free us. It tells us he rose again to give us newness of life. It tells us God will save people and bring them into his kingdom. It tells us that we must repent, turn from sin, trust in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. This is what Jesus wanted to get out. This is what he was duty-bound to preach. This is what he was urgently compelled to speak. This was his priority, above all else, to inaugurate the kingdom of God by his death and resurrection. And to preach that kingdom of God to all those needy souls and to us as well. His prayer life kept him focused on that very thing. Jesus came not just to save people uh, temporally, but eternally. To heal them not just physically, but spiritually deep within. Friends, it is absolutely dumbfounding later to read in the Gospels what happens to these cities in Galilee? Jesus later on will pronounce woes upon Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin, these cities of Galilee. Turn with me for a moment to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 20 to 24. Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Ultimately, all these healings that were done, did they eternally benefit those people of Galilee? No. Not unless they repented and believed in the gospel. So this is what Jesus came to do. He came to bring the good news to lost souls. And he came to preach that they must repent. That they must turn to him. That they must trust in him in order to be saved, to be brought into the kingdom of heaven. If we are healed by Jesus delivered by Jesus, restored in some outward way, but we do not truly, savingly believe in Christ and turn to him in repentance and faith. We are eternally lost. Friends, Jesus used his compassionate power in the service of people's temporal needs He surely cared about the person with the arched back and the chronic leprosy and the bleeding, but his compassion goes further than that. He cares about those who are lost in darkness, headed to eternal destruction and damnation. He cared so much that he came to the earth to sacrifice himself for us. He sacrificed hours of sleep to remain focused on his mission. He sacrificed all his energy to preach himself to exhaustion, proclaiming the saving kingdom that he was building. He sacrificed his very life upon the cross to accomplish that redemption we must receive. We see the compassion of Christ as he went preaching that powerful gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Friends, trust in him. Those of you who come here week by week, you've not yet repented. Trust in Jesus. Trust in him. Look at his power here. Look, if he's able to heal people of physical diseases, how much more deep within your heart. He can raise you from spiritual death. He can deliver you from the bondage of sin and Satan. Come to him. Trust in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And lastly, for us believers, there's something instructive here as well. Jesus' purpose for which he came into this earth is the same purpose for which he has sent us. Namely, to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. We're not here simply to alleviate temporary suffering. Of course, we're God has given us the purpose of doing good works in this world. We should care about all suffering, as John Piper says, but especially eternal suffering. Are we concerned for the people in our neighborhood who are on their way to hell? and The people in the next towns, are we sending out gospel preachers? Are we in our daily lives holding forth this everlasting gospel? Are we taking every opportunity to share what Christ has done for needy sinners? Are we saying to the people around us, you must repent and believe in the gospel? We are here to testify to a lost and damned world that there is salvation in no one else but Jesus Christ, our powerful Savior. This is your purpose, Christian. Don't get sidetracked. You've found living water, so you must tell other thirsty souls where to find it, even if they don't even recognize that they're thirsty yet. Don't turn away from this mission. Spend time alone with God to reorient your purpose in this life. If Jesus has healed you, like Simon's mother-in-law, you must serve him. One of the ways that we serve him is by telling of him to our neighbors and friends. Not everyone is going to be a preacher or a missionary going from place to place, though we need those, we need more of those, we need to pray for those. But serve Christ in your own home, in your own way. Serve him and proclaim him. The one who served us to the point of death on the cross to heal our deepest disease as that hymn says I gave my life for thee my precious blood I shed that thou might ransomed be and quicken from the dead I gave I gave my life for thee what have you given for me I gave I gave my life for thee what have you given for me let's pray Lord God we pray that you would use your word now in our lives God that we would think upon these things that we we would meditate upon your word that we would declare your word that we would speak to one another about these things that we we would ask each other if we've been faithful in this task to preach your gospel that we would pray for one another when we find that we're in all kinds of troubles God please renew us and help us to follow your word by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.